the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, greeting everyone. This is Al Fadi, and uh, I am so excited, of course, that uh, we are uh, still going through this amazing series of short videos intentionally done that way by myself and Dr. J in order to help you, of course, simplify things. So we're putting it all together for you in a systematic format to be able to debunk the early Islamic history known as the standard Islamic narrative. Now, in the last couple of episodes, we showed you that the coins debunk early Islamic history. Rock inscriptions uh, do also debunk early Islamic history. And today we're going to show you that the Dome of the Rock itself also debunks the early Islamic history. With me here, as always, is Dr. J. Dr. J, welcome back. Thank you so much. So what about this Dome of the Rock that is a big deal for Islam? You tell me what you know about the Dome of the Rock. Now, tell me what you've been told as a Muslim. Well, I mean, simply put, the Dome of the Rock is a big deal, of course, simply because the rock that we're talking about is the rock that allegedly Muhammad, when he, during the Isra and Mi'raj, basically he was taken from Mecca, whether in spirit or physically, all the way to Jerusalem. Well, he was, he was told to get on the back of the burak. That's right, but, but he was taken, went there, he prayed over that rock, and there were some prophets behind him, and then he ascended to heaven from there. So that's what the rock is all about. Seven heavens. Correct. Mates Allah, who tells you to pray 50 times a day. It's Moses who was his Allah. And he comes down to the fifth yeah. heaven on his way back down, and Moses stops him and says, how many times did he ask you to pray? Yeah, exactly. Moses. He said 50. He said, no, no, that's way too many. Go back and see if you can get it down. So he yeah. jumps back up to the seventh heaven, brings it down to 35. Then Moses is still too many. So he bounces back between the fifth and the seventh Moses heaven. is the God of Islam. There you go. And he yeah. brings it down finally from 50 to 35 to 20 to 15 to 10, finally down to five. Once he gets it to five... Moses says, ah, okay, that's enough. Go back down, down to earth. So Moses is the one who dictates <laughs> how many prayers we have today, which means this is happening in 621. So this is according to the standard Islamic narrative. That's the year this happened. So it's the year before he moves up to Medina. So here he comes back down to earth and receives the, uh, gets back on the winged horse there at the rock, which is Mount Moriah, and flies on back down to Mecca. And that's why then Abdul Malik built. That's what we're told. The standard Islamic narrative tells us, right? that Abdul Malik built us in 691 to commemorate that event. That's right. The Miraj. You call it the Israel Miraj. Yes. Israel Miraj. Ur Miraj. Now, if that is the case, uh, then I would suggest the Dome of the Rock is pretty important. How important is it for Muslims? Uh, what, uh, as far as shrines, what is the... Uh, are there anything more important than this? I mean, we believed in the three holy mosques. The three this holy is the mosques. the third one, right there. Okay, so it's a mosque. Yeah. If it's a mosque, it has a Qibla. That's right. No, it doesn't. 
I mean, that's what you think, right? You know, it doesn't have a Kibla. Yeah, I remember Dr. Gerald Haunting saying this way back in 1995. I was in his class, and the Muslims were absolutely irate when he said this. And I raised my hand. I said, "How? Can, if it's a mosque, how can it not have a Kibla? He says, "I'm not going to answer that." He refused to answer because the Muslims were leaving the class and slamming the door and calling him names as they slammed it because they could not deal with this. It has to have a Kibla if it's a mosque. It has no Kibla. Now, the Dome of the Chain right next to it does have a Kibla. The Dome of the Chain had to be built with a Kibla. What is interesting, the Kibla, take a look at where the Kibla is, because the Kibla is there on the Dome of the Chain. In fact, the entire citadel has a Kibla. So does the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is on the southern wall. It has a Kibla, and all of those Kiblas are facing Petra. Ooh, I love that. Now, that's a little side note. We do want to get back to the Dome of the Rock. 691. Now, right now, I have to be careful because there is a paper that has been released this year by A.J. Deuce. And A.J. Deuce, I want to say this to those who are watching, read that paper, The Serpent King. It's a great paper. A.J. Deuce, thankful, has done an enormous amount of research. He would claim that the Dome of the Rock we're looking at today is not the Dome of the Rock that was built by Abdul Malik. And I agree with him that. I remember doing a debate in this in 1998. I debated this with Abdul Green, Sheikh Abdul Green in London. We had a two-hour debate. And I... He came to me and he says, you think it doesn't have a Kibla? Look at the southern portico. There is, Shah, there is Surah uh, chapter 2, verse 149, 150 on the, the door of the southern portico. That's the reference to the Kibla being changed. And look on the drum. Around the drum is chapter 17, verse 1, which talks about going from the great mosque to the farthest mosque, the Masjid al-Haram. Uh, from the Masjid al-Ham to the farthest mosque. So that is reference, according to Muslims today, of the Qibla. So he says, therefore, you're wrong, Mr. Smith. What he didn't realize is what I had done my research before the debate, and I said, uh, fortunately, I knew about this. I said, well, do you know when that drum was built? And do you know when that southern portico was built? I don't know. Do you know the date that that's the drum and the portico were built? I don't think. 1876. Uh, you see, that was surprising to me when I found out about this. Uh, even recently, I did that with Mel, and uh, you would think it was an 8th century, a 9th century, no. a 10th century. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the 7th century. The Dome of the Rock has been destroyed and rebuilt 11 times. See, I knew this way back in 1995. Right. And I introduced that, and that shut down that whole debate. That was only one part of the debate. And I say, you've got a real problem here, because you are so dependent on the Dome of the Rock as your third holiest shrine, because this is where the Shahada is introduced. Laila illa Muhammad Rasulullah. You have to have it there. Otherwise, you don't have any other reference. That's the first reference to Muhammad on a, any structure. There is a reference to a Muhammad in a coin that is earlier in 60s, 660. But that is the, I'm going to show you who that Muhammad was. In fact, let's talk about this Muhammad and let's go and look at the slide. So let's put up the slide here and let's take a look at what we're looking at. So here is the side of the Dome of the Rock and you can see the cutaway there. Um, the two green arrows, it's the bottom arrow. Look at the bottom arrow and look at that, that circular uh, ambulatory. We call it ambulatories. You can call it, their, I don't know what Mel has another name for it, uh, but it's, I call it ambulatories because that's usually the technical name. It's, it looks like a structure that goes around in a, in a eight, it's, I think it's six sided or eight sided. I think it may be six sided. So it is six sided. It's six sided or is it octagon? I think it's octagon means eight sided. Um, you know, to be honest with you, uh, it looks six to me, doesn't it? But he always called it an octagon. And if you look at the other, no, no, it is eight. It is eight. Okay, so yeah. it's an eight-sided um, ambulatory. And what AJ Deuce says is that actually that, and it's that outer one that you're looking at with the bottom green arrow. That is where the inscription is with the shahada, and that's what we're looking at. That shahada, according to. Uh, 
all the scholars I know, that was introduced by Abdel Malik. A.J. Dio says, no, you probably don't get that inscription there until the 16th century because of the destruction rebuilds and destruction rebuilds. Uh, John, um, uh, uh, Thomas Alexander has, has refuted that. So we're having a healthy debate within the sin sifters as to what uh, really, whether or not this is a 691 inscription or is it a 1500 inscription uh, AD. I am not going to take a side on this. Let's just assume it is 691. Let's just go with Thomas Alexander for for uh, sake of, of argument today, all right? Because I'm not going to make a decision on that this early. And this is what I love, these kind of debates. So if this is a 691 inscription, this is what it says. Now, we've always assumed it's 691. We'll keep it with that. And you have Abdel Malik introducing this inscription. He inscribed, there's about, it's a 30 feet inscription with lots of references in Arabic. Interestingly, uh, it doesn't, it has diacritical marks, which is problematic because there was no diacritical marks that early. So obviously, either those diacritical marks were written or added at a later date, or that means that this inscription comes from a later date. You can go either way with that because you can always add uh, inscriptions. If it's mosaic, you can always add the inscriptions at a later date, which is also means you can add an inscription at a later date too if it's just mosaics. That's right. That's the beauty of mosaics. You can take stones off and put them in again, and you don't know what the age is on that. Now, the, what's there is Lailala, Muhammad Rasulullah is there, and that's why most people are saying this is referring to Muhammad the man. However, take a look at all the inscriptions that precede it and follow it. Chapter 112. Well, let's start with, actually, it starts with chapter 4, verse 171, which we have in the Quran today. Say not three, for God is one, and he has no son. Now, who is that attacking? Uh, it's attacking Christianity and uh, the sonship of Christ. Exactly. So it's attacking Jesus. It's an anti-Trinitarian attack against the Trinitarians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly who Abdul Malik was. He was, he was a Christian, no doubt about it. He, he talked about, you can see references, you can see even material that he talks of, that he uses in his, in his uh, reign that are very clear that he is a Christian, but he's an anti-Trinitarian Christian. And that's why he's attacking the Trinitarians. And he is a big figure. Listen, he is the caliph. Uh, he was the caliph from six, according to what Joe is saying, it started in 680, not 685. Thomas Alexander also agrees with that. And the Germans seem to be supporting that. That there was not, Marwan I was not the first caliph. Abdel Malik was the first of the Marwan caliphs. So let's go with 680 up to 705. So we're talking about 25 years he was a caliph. And he did an enormous amount. He is the one that introduces the Arabic as the lingua franca for the whole area. And by doing that, he is the one that started the ball on creating a, a Quran. You had to have a book. If you're going to have a man, you need to have a book. Every prophet has to have a book. And that's why they had to borrow. Uh, we're going to get into that in the next segment on looking at the Quran. But nonetheless, here's the Dome of the Rock, and he introduces this inscription. It's attacking Jesus' divinity. It's attacking the Trinity. And it's attacking the sonship, as you notice. Right. Then you have Lailaila. So if you have this attacking his divinity, Laila means God, for really God is one alone. Remember in that it has alone right. there. Yeah. So that means why would they say that unless he, there must have been other beyond him? Well, that again is the Trinity. And this man, this praised one, because that's what Muhammad means. It means the praised one is nothing more than the messenger of God. So if that is the case, who is this referring to? Yeah, if we read it this way, then obviously uh, you can make the case that this is in reference to Christ himself. This is really a reference to Christ. And simply because, by the way, uh, in John 14, when Jesus says, and I will send you another comforter, another praised one, which means he is a praised one also. 
Exactly. It's the same yeah. word. Yeah. In yeah. fact, don't the Muslims today go back to John 14 and right. John 16 right. and say that this parakletos that we have in Greek with the vowels in place is parakletos, which means, which in parakletos, the praise one could be Ahmed, which is diminutive of Muhammad. Mm-hmm. So they like to say that's actually a prophecy of Muhammad. Correct. No, it's the praised one, the same praised one that's on the Dome of the Rock here. Yes. There, you can see that it's great when you bring in all these threads together. So if that is the case, the blessed one or the praised one is Jesus. And Abdul Malik is amazing. And why, that's why he puts it in Jerusalem. You know, he's living in Damascus. The standard Islamic narrative said he should be living down in Medina. That's where all the caliphs lived. What was he doing way up in Damascus, 1,200 miles away? Well, the reason why is because that was the center of the Umayyad dynasty. He was an Umayyad. That's why Damascus was where the water is. Damascus is where all the vegetation is. Damascus is where the trade routes are. Damascus is where the civilizations have been for centuries. It's one of the old. In fact, it could be one of the oldest cities in the world. Because there's water there. There's no water in Mecca, Medina. He would not have had that. But what does he do? Why doesn't he put it in Damascus then? He puts it in Jerusalem for a reason. Look and see where it's located. I see we're out of time. We need to wrap this all up. But if, if you look at all this, this is all about Jesus. This has nothing more than do that. There's the second, the last piece of evidence we needed to fit it all out. Not only that, I want to add just one last thing. If they had the sophisticated knowledge, engineering knowledge to build something like this in Jerusalem, why in the world they didn't use it in Mecca? Why didn't they have the Shahada in Mecca around the Kaaba? Why didn't they build something like this in Mecca? And look where they built it. They right. put it on Mount Moriah, the Holy of Holies exactly. for the Jews, looking down on the Church of the Sepulcher. This is a one-upmanship against the Byzantines. It's a one-upmanship also against the Jews. Amen. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully everyone is uh, catching on on this theme. And uh, until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Well, hello, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, and I want to welcome you back to, uh, yet again, another episode of this fascinating series, uh, which is intended really to uh, do a historical criticism of early Islamic history, or what we call the standard Islamic narrative. Now, uh, if you have been following this series from the beginning, you'll notice that we started it with what we called the place, that's Mecca, and then we turned our attention in the last couple of episodes to the man, that's Muhammad, Today, we are going to talk about the book, which is in reference to the Quran. And believe it or not, we are going to prove to you that the book is actually the weakest out of all these three elements. In fact, I want to call it the weakest link when it comes to uh, debunking, I should say. The book is going to debunk the early Islamic history. In other words, it's not going to be of benefit to help the case. Rather, it is going to weaken the case of early Islamic history even more. With me here in studio to do so, our dear friend, Dr. J. Dr. Yeah. J. So, we always thought the book is the strongest evidence, at least. Well, we never thought that, but the Muslims have. This is what That's what I meant, you know. Yeah. We, being a Muslim, okay, in yeah. our case. Now, tell me why. I'm going to throw it right back at you. Why is the Quran sacrosanct, and what is it about the Quran that Muslims love and are always pushing on us? Well, obviously, it is the word of Allah verbatim. 
it is Muhammad's miracle. Muhammad is an illiterate, right? You know, that's the, uh, the claim. Therefore, how can an illiterate person comes up with such amazing revelations? The book is the foundation for what we call Mecca, Qibla, uh, many other things, obviously. And the book is the one that also was brought up uh, to us by the man. So without the book, you don't have a man and you don't have a place that ties all these things together. Absolutely. For every Muslim, I may may have to be careful to qualify, for every radical Muslim or orthodox Muslim, for every nominal Muslim, not the liberals. I'm not the liberals will be the first to actually have discarded with the Quran. But all 99%, 99.9% of all Muslims in the world today believe that the Quran is eternal. Now, it's not that they have made that up. It's they have to because of chapter 85, verse 21 and 22 in the Quran makes that claim. Mm-hmm. It, it exists on these preserved tablets, has always existed, coexisting with God. That means it is co-eternal with God. There are two or co-eternals. That in and of itself is a theological contradiction if God is one. Secondly, all Muslims believe that the Quran has always been, therefore, if it's always been, no human, you or me or anybody, can change one word or one letter. And that's in chapter 10, verse 15 of the Quran. That's in chapter 18, verse 27. Very clear that man cannot change God's word. Otherwise, it no longer becomes God's word. It becomes man's word. And the reason why is because of chapter 15, verse 9, Allah himself has guarded it from being changed. Allah will not allow one person or any group of people to change one word or one letter. So the Quran is endemic with this view of inimitability. The preservation of the Quran is something that God himself has preserved. It's not for man to even think of having the audacity to believe that they can change one letter, one uh, one word. If that is the case, then they have elevated the Quran way higher. Would we say that about Christianity, about the Bible? Would we make those four, four claims? I mean, uh, the Bible is the Word of God, inspired by uh, the Holy Spirit. Is it eternal? Spoken through. Well, I mean, uh, God is eternal. No, I'm talking sure. about the Bible. Let's talk about the Bible now. I believe the Bible is eternal, of course, because it? it's the Word of God is eternal. That's, John 1.1 1, 1 is eternal? We don't make the claims Muslims make that it is written so we would never make on these a preserved tablets. Yeah. Yeah. And Christians yeah. make this mistake all the time. And this is where they hang themselves. Because they would like to say the same thing about them. I've heard Christian after Christian, yes, we would make the same claims. And I said, would you stop saying that? No Christian believes the Bible has eternal, uh, lived on, existed on eternal tablets historically. That's the thing, yeah. No one would believe that. The Bible is written by men. We know who wrote it. We know the names of the when Inspired they wrote it. Inspired by God. I'm saying, is the Bible eternal? No, it's not. It's, it's I, I want to clarify. Uh, this is dangerous, by the way, because some people did complain when we say things like this. We're talking about Muslims say the Quran is eternal, written on eternal tablets. We do not say the Bible is written on eternal tablets, came down from heaven. That's what uh, Jay is saying. That's to say. what they think we say because they yeah. hear that. Because, and this is why I want to caution Christians. Only Christians watching this, be careful of the words you use because Muslims assume you're saying the same thing they're saying. That's right. We are not saying the same thing. Therefore, we don't have to defend it. Therefore, that's the beauty of this. Muslims have to defend what they're claiming, and that's where we're going to hang them on. This is where we're going to hang them on. So, secondly, um, uh, would we say that uh, that it was sent down uh, to one man, or uh, that it came down? 
uh, like uh, through an angel Jibril to one man? Right. There, there is debate on what that mean, uh, send down, uh, tanazzal. Some, sometimes they say it was in Ramadan that it came from the seventh heaven to the first heaven. And then over the course of 23 years, it was sent down. Sometimes they'll say, no, no, it just meant that it went down over the course of 23 years in parts and pieces. Okay. So we would not say that about the Bible either. It was written by men inspired by God, but they wrote in their own style. That's right. That's why you see Matthew is written different than Luke. Luke is written exactly. quite a bit different than Mark or even John. Even the style they wrote or the, or the material that they were talking about, they said it many different ways, as they have four witnesses would do. So inspired by God, but written by man is what we would say. Now, the fourth claim that they would make that it has never changed, not one letter or one word. Has the Bible changed one letter or one word? I mean, this is the, the one that kills our Muslim friends' argument completely. Because the minute you say, you will never find a single evidence that any letter was changed in the Quran, I would directly to Dr. Brubaker's book, and you tell me We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah, but I'm trying to debunk this idea. You're jumping the gun again. (laughs) Uh, Jay, you make me laugh sometimes. Uh, When it comes to the Bible, uh, we never said that there are no copyist errors or corrections but we have enough evidence to help us see what the original writings were. I mean, we never really uh, make these kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, big claims. And, and we say that, oops, uh, we saw a manuscript that has like a correction. Therefore, I'm leaving uh, faith altogether because of this. And you can see why we would never say that. It, was, it, would make, it would be stupid because we can never support that. We can never defend it. So we would never make the claim that is inimitable, that is eternal. We would never make the claim that it was sent down to one man or uh, that, it, that it was dictated word for word. No, inspired, yes. Um, we would, would we say that the originals were correct? Yes, we would say that the originals were correct. That would be the third area we would agree with them. And the fourth area, Inherent, yeah. that there has never been any changes. No, we know where the changes are. We even admit it. We're very transparent. We know that there are You have footnotes, mistakes. right? We put the footnotes in there. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 9 to 20. We say it's not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. It could be in the original. We just don't know. There's no way that we can support those verses. We're very transparent, you know, like you said. Uh, uh, we believe in inerrancy of the original, but that doesn't mean also we're not uh, going to be open-minded about putting footnotes, explaining things, but it never impacts our uh, essentials, our essential doctrines, our faith. All right. And because of that, what are we going to demand? If the, the Muslims are making this claim as they do, they make this claim of eternality, they make this claim of sent down, they make the complaint, this, this claim of being a complete at the time of Uthman in 652, and they make this claim that it has never changed. Those are the four major claims. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to confront the number two, I'm sorry, number three and four. I don't want to confront number one and two. Eternality, you can't confront that. Uh, uh, sent down, we're not there, so there's no way of knowing. But what we can do is number three and four. This idea that, uh, that it was complete at the time of Uthman and the idea that it has never changed. Those, let's just talk, shut down those two. And what we're going to do in these episodes is shut down those two. Now, what does this mean? What it means for you and me, and this is what we, and, and, and everybody see if that we don't hold to this. What we're demanding, therefore, of every Muslim, if you're making these claims as a Muslim, you've got to provide a full manuscript of the Quran from the 7th century, a complete manuscript that was created by Uthman. 
We're going to see that he created five of them at that time, sent them to five different cities. So you, therefore, have got to show me where those five manuscripts are. That should be easy to find, right? That's right. Only 1,400 years ago. I mean, you look at the Sinaiticus, the Alexandrinus, the Vaticanus. Uh, we have three metropolitan codices that go back to the 4th century and 5th century. The uh, Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus are both from the 4th century. That's 300 years before the Quran. And the Alexandrinus is uh, in uh, the British Library. That is from the 5th century. That's 200 years before the Quran, if there was a Quran in the 7th century. If we can provide three metropo- complete manuscripts of the New Testament by... The three to two hundred years before the Quran, I would expect the Muslims to come up with at least one manuscript. That's all I'm asking, one manuscript. Secondly, I'd also like to make sure that it is from the seventh century. I want to make sure that they can prove to me that it is from 652, that it has all 114 surahs, and that within that 114 surahs, every verse is exactly the same as this Quran I have in my hand today, the Hafs Quran. Is that too much to ask, Al Fadi? Not at all. That's so reasonable. that's what we're going to do. As we go through this series of episodes, we're going to ask that question. We're going to bring it back to that question. We're going to see if it, the Muslims can pass that test. That's pretty easy. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not asking them for all five manuscripts. I'm just asking for one. I'm not asking for the time of Muhammad. I'm asking for the time of Uthman. I'm not saying that they have to have, well, I am asking if they have every word and every letter the same because they make that claim. If they make that claim, then they've got to prove it. Put up or shut up. That's all I'm saying. And that's a fair request. Thank you so much. Until next episode, have a blessed day, everyone. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.